In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm noah nelson and welcome to episode 377 this week on the show a double header with a double dose of horror first our good friend brian bishop stops by wearing a brand new hat he's the immersive curator for this year's overlook film festival the horror focused genre festival which is coming up in march in new orleans and he's here to tell us all about what's on tap for the fest. Then Winston Fisher, co-founder and CEO of Area 15, dials in to give us the lowdown on the recently announced next phase of the Area 15 district in Las Vegas, which will include the first year-round Halloween Horror Nights attraction from Universal. Before we get to that, I'd like to draw your attention to the front page of NoPro this week, where you can find quite a few nifty articles, including a review of Swamp Motel's new St. Jude in London, the latest Immersive 5 interview, our 25th in fact, this time out with a creative team at Patchwork Adventures who have the upcoming Order of the Golden Scribe initiation tea at the Cell Theatre in Manhattan, and the latest, and certainly not the least, No Pro's 10 most anticipated new works of 2023 so far, featuring experiences in San Francisco, SoCal, Denver, Texas, New England, London, and in virtual reality. All of this is made possible through the support of listeners and readers like you who head to patreon.com slash and pledge as little as $2 a month. The latest to do so are Tim McMath, Beth Davis, Nicholas Fortuno, Erica McKay, Kay, DV Mission 28-Hour Film Challenge, and we got a bump in support from Deadpan 1113. When you pledge, you're not only helping us make this work, but you are also keeping it free from paywalls. More on that on the other side of the show. Right now, we are $321 a month from our next major milestone, and we need to get there this month to hold off the big changes. If you're already a backer, drop a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice and share the podcasts and the articles. That most anticipated article is a really good candidate. Hmm, I wonder why we made something like that. Uh, also, it's kind of useful, right? Uh, you can find us uh, on your social media platform of choice. Uh, wait, no, share it on your social media platform of choice. You can tell when I go off script. Uh, we are always no proscenium, except on Insta, where we are no underscore proscenium. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers. And I'm going to take a breath here because we've got a lot. Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Tom Leonetti McGuire, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Whew, thank you all. Uh, I'd, I'd be homeless if it wasn't for you. That's not even hyperbole. We're also on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noah at noprosidium.com for details. It's time. And with that, it's time for the show. 
Let's do this thing. Every year, our friends at the Overlook Film Festival do something that not a lot of other film festivals do. They put immersive into the mix. The Overlook Film Festival, of course, is the genre film festival that happens in Nolens, Louisiana. Uh, we've got a bunch of friends who help run it. And right now on the show, one of our dear friends, Brian Bishop, who has taken on the mantle of immersive curator... And this guy knows his way around immersive. He's on the show to tell us what's going on. Hey, Brian. Hey, dude. How's it going? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> tell everyone that these days. Let's not do that. You got to pay extra to find out about that. In my life. <laughs> Special ultra secret, uh, secret I have an, edition. Some people have OnlyFans. I have an OnlyPains. So, um, no. <laughs> I hear that pays well, though. Yeah. Mm, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we can talk offline. It's fine. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I laugh because otherwise I'd cry. Everyone's like, oh, no, it's so jolly. It's like, mm-hmm. I know you, we some jolly people in the world. So we all know what's going on with them. Anyway, <laughs> that stays in the show. Um, Brian, uh, this is, you've been to the Overlook uh, a few times over the years uh, mm-hmm. uh, in, in various capacities, This is, but you've now taken on the mantle of immersive curator. Before we dive too deep into the into what's been announced, because you guys just got announced in Fangoria this week and what's going on and how it is in the festival and yada, yada, just remind everybody, and hopefully I have this note nearby, what dates are we talking about here? When is this happening? We are talking about March 30th through Sunday, April 2nd in so- New Orleans just around the corner mm-hmm. uh like coming up real quick here uh just this week uh like i mentioned the immersive slate was announced in fangoria i wondered if you could take us through what you have uh put together here uh for uh, the 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 goers of uh overlook and and maybe start off by telling us how it's going to work for people uh is there an immersive pass this year is it signed up for everybody What's the deal, yo? Yeah, there's a. I'm going to frame this all up because there is a frame this year that's slightly different. Um, just to answer your direct question about festival passes, that kind of thing. You know, in the past, uh, immersive shows have usually been included with the price of a festival. Um, you know, festival pass, and so you know, in this case, we were thinking about it. How do we? you know, make sure we're making these shows feel as special and unique as possible. We'll get to that later in a second with the programming. Uh, and how do we basically make them feel like a highlight? And also um, in sheer exposure, one of the things that, you know, we've been talking a lot about, and I know you care about is how do we expose more people to this work? So if there are people in New Orleans who don't have a festival pass or maybe can't afford a festival pass, um, but like they go, oh, I really want to try out this one show. They can also have that opportunity. So we made the decision to basically have all of the shows be separately ticketed this year, um, which will go through a range of prices starting from like 20 to about 65 bucks. Um, but, um, but yeah, but that's, that's new this year. Um, but we think it's going to be worth it given that we programmed on what the, uh, the creators are cooking up. So, so is there any pass for the, for the festival goers that like bakes it all in or is it, is it fully a la carte for every human being anywhere in the area? It's fully a la carte. The, the difference is if you are a pass holder, you get first dibs on purchasing tickets. And as you can imagine, a lot of these shows are going to be very limited run. Um, so there's definitely going to be uh, some exclusivity, you know, kind of, you kind of get with that. Um, but it's, it's kind of open to, to everybody. So if all you want to do is check out, you know, the $20 show or the $33 show, you can do that. 
you know, if you want to do it, whether you're local, whether you're remote, whatever you're, whether you're whatever. I, you know, I've, I've talked with the Overlook team a lot over the years about this exact issue. And this, this feels like a, a fairly elegant solution for those who want to go completely wild and, and try and get everything. Then, you know, they've got the option of buying an Overlook pass and then using that to book whatever they can uh, this way. So feels good. Feels right. Yeah, it's definitely so, a, it's definitely a, a little bit of a shift, but um, you know, part of the re- one of the things we wanted to do this year is really, you know, emphasize how special and important this work is. So this just felt part of that larger idea and kind of like really highlighting these things. All of these shows, people are getting bargains. You know what I mean? For all these shows, these are not extreme prices. Even if you're used to it for from a festival pass, um, these are a whole different thing. So it's uh, we felt it was worth it too. So let's get into what you've got. Take us through this, and I'm going to react in uh, in real time. So apologies in advance if I bust up your flow. No, no, feel, uh, feel free anytime. So to to do this properly, I'm going to rewind. Just anytime. No, sorry. God. Okay, I gotta go. I gotta go. I'm sorry. I'll talk if to you, you later. If you can't tell, Brian and I are friends IRL. <laughs> so, um, and the, the one thing I'm going to do for all of you is I'm going to promise to not start making references to the memes I send him over text. So, I mean, I, I thought I this podcast a... was about Andor. It's not. <laughs> Let's don't. We four four people listen to that episode, so no, sadly, it's not. <laughs> You're fine, <laughs> fine. Um, but no, uh, I'm going to rewind back to 2017. That was the first time I went to Overlook. I was there as press that year. Uh, and that was the year it was at uh, at Fort Hood. The, it was set in this hotel that they used for the exteriors of uh, the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. So it was very much on brand. And I remember I, I walked in, I did not know what to expect. And I was checking in. And right when I checked in, um, Josh Randall from Blackout, who I think I'd talked to for an interview once, kind of like walked right by and goes like, oh, Hey, Brian Bishop. And I was like, Hey, Josh Randall, you're not intimidating or scary at all. And he's like, yeah, we'll see you later tonight. And I was like, what did I just walk into? I've made a terrible mistake. I don't know what's happening. And I don't know what's going on with this thing. Because what was so cool about that year is that everything happened underneath the roof of that hotel. You could walk down a random hotel. You could be sitting, you know, you had a friend sleeping in the hotel three, you know, three, um, you know, three doors down. People would walk in or out for a blackout show. You could go to this other place past a restaurant. Uh, Annie Lester was doing the the chalet, apartment eight. And um, it was like basically everything was contained in this space. And so it kind of felt like you were in this one big breathing, living organism that was then tied together with the Overlook game, which has kind of been their overarching thing uh, over the years. And it was this really, really unique experience. This is, you know, Long before, you know, there were multi-day experiences, you know, on the market like there are today necessarily, but it was like this all-in-one thing. I think one of the festival co-founders called it uh, summer camp for horror. Um, But for me, it was a straight up multi-day immersive experience and you never knew what was going to happen or or when it would happen next. It was was really, really exciting. Um, So, you know, since then, the festival has moved to New Orleans, also a city with amazing history and amazing potential. But by the, you know, by definition, it also has been, became a little bit more sprawly. So instead of having everything under one roof, you'd have something here and you'd have movies over here. And then maybe you'd have to go 10, 15 minutes over here for another thing. So that sense of it being all together was just something that it didn't have when it went to New Orleans. It wasn't, you know, bad. The programming was great. The, the immersive creators and the games were great. It was just a thing that didn't have that one thing that stuck in the back of my head. And so when I, I talked to Landon, our mutual friend, Landon Zach, I'm festival co-founder, uh, and he brought up this idea to me and I'm like, okay, what can we do? Before I did it, I wanted to make sure I could 
highlight creators that are amazing and talented and deserve to be highlighted and get, you know, make sure as many people that haven't seen this work as possible can see them. But also it was like, I wanted to get it back to that idea of it all being this one, you know, multi-day immersive experience and how could we do that? Uh, and so we, that's what we ended up going with. And so basically the way it mm. works right now is we have a selection, um, the ones you saw that were announced, um, we have four different immersive shows and then there's the game. But what's different this year is that uh, there was an in-world conceit as part of the game. And each of the the shows exists within the fictional world of the game. And you Ooh. kind of, we'll get, we'll get to like, you know, the people making the game, but you've joined their investigation. And as part of that, you go to all these different immersive shows or not, you can play it standalone. Um, but the people that do go to those shows will have a deeper experience. They will, um, they will find things that others have not. Um, and, uh, and at the end, you know, assuming we all do our jobs correctly, and I'm pretty excited about it. Um, it'll be a, just a little bit deeper. Um, than it would be to seeing an immersive show on its own. And hopefully it will feel like this one cohesive experience. So does that mean you're coordinating the creative teams into building, you know, a world? Like, is this like the the Overlook Horror Universe, the OHU, which we shall now refer to it from here on out. And it's like different, different tent poles in the OHU, but it all comes together for the most ambitious Overlook crossover experience ever. It wasn't before, but now it is. Okay. Um, but uh, I just want to know, I'm, I'm now the marketing director for, sorry, everyone <laughs> on the Overlook uh, team. I just took over. So. You know, what was really great about this show is that I wanted to do a couple things. You know, we program shows because we like them. We think they're exceptional, right? There's, you know, we don't want to program anything that we don't think isn't awesome straight up. So I didn't want to step on any of these shows, um, you know, to kind of like diminish what's so great about them in the first place. But every single creator was like super interested in kind of integration with the game and how that would work. So we have a framing device uh, and without getting too deep into it, um, there is an element of onboarding and offboarding that is part of the game that wraps around each of the shows. And uh, you can basically just go to the show and that can be it. It's fine. You can kind of, you know, go to the show and take something, you know, forward into your investigation. Uh, it could pay off later, depending on things you do or do not do. Um, but um, there was a, definitely an element. And it's kind of one of the fun things about it is talking to all these like amazing creators. and like, here's this crazy weird idea we have. Are you down? And everybody has been down, which has been really, really fun. So there's going to be some cool, um, nothing's going to step on the shows themselves. And I don't want to give away too much stuff. So I'm going to be a little cagey. I apologize. But um, it's going to be, it should be pretty fun. Well, without giving away too much, um, uh, you mentioned onboarding and offboarding. So are you talking about like in the context of like, I go up, I go to a show and basically the the ticket queue or, or, or the greeter or whatever is in world for the game which someone who's playing the game would recognize, but someone who's not would just be like, oh, this is just the aesthetic for the lobby. Correct. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, kind of. It's not, I mean, we're having everything. Yes, is is the short answer. The conceit this year, along with wrapping in the immersive shows, is we also wanted the game to kind of touch as many different parts of the festival as we could. So the investigation that is at the heart of the game this year is something that stretches across multiple festival things, different shows, movie screenings, you know, podcast recordings, all kinds of stuff. So definitely the intention here is to actually make it part of the fabric of the festival itself. And to your point, you may go and you may just talk to some interesting characters uh, who like kind of set you up for your thing and never go back there. Or if you're playing or if your friend's playing, they'll be like, no, 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 this is a thing. You got to go back and talk about X, Y, Z. And that's another layer of play that people will hopefully be interested in unlocking. 
Very, very interesting to see how it all plays out. Okay, we're going to get into who's running the game in a bit, although people who are longtime listeners of the show, they already know. <laughs> I hear that uh, you know, just, 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 for the, just for the conceit, just for the conceit. Um, but uh, take us through, you got four experiences, mm-hmm. take us through them. Well, one of the first things we decided to do this year is that you know, uh, Overlook has always programmed a lot of different kinds of immersive. Sometimes there's been VR, sometimes it's been, you know, just shows. One thing that was really important to me this year when we started programming was, you know, the focus is we've got movies. There's going to be amazing horror movies that haven't been announced yet. That part's awesome. But the thing that's most interesting about, you know, immersive work in that context to me is essentially the power of live performance. So we're saying like, okay, we want to find things that are, you know, no VR, nothing like that. No mixed reality. Just it's all about human beings. It's all about performers and actors. And it's all about putting, you know, audience members in as, as a intimate a space as possible, you know, and not necessarily like emotionally intimate, but just like you and an actor in a space for like 50 yeah. minutes. And what does that look like? And how does that feel? Especially for people that maybe haven't done this kind of work before. So that was kind of like an overarching, like, goal and trying to figure out how to program some of this stuff. Um, so I guess I'll just start, I'll just start semi-alphabetically. Um, the first one thing we really wanted to do this year um, is, uh, I don't know, you've had them on, I believe, but Candlehouse Collective um, mm-hmm. does like, you know, telephone only experiences um, that are wide variety of ranges. They are, you know, wide variety of intensities. Um, there have been shows that I've never been angrier with a character before ever than in a Candlehouse show. Um, but what was really great is they have a show called Claws that for me really felt like one of the best introductions to immersive work you can come up with, right? It's like, it's a phone show. It's about 50-ish minutes. It's you, one guest, uh, and one actor the entire time. And you were just dialed in on that phone call and like you never leave. And it's just a very, very intense show that goes in a lot of different places. And it's very, very flexible, which is something I really appreciated. The way that that show uh, can go at various points, it's really what you bring to the table as a guest. And so, you know, something that had kind of like a classic conceit, which that show does uh, in terms of, you know, like there's, you know, monster in a closet vibes. I'll just say like that without getting too much more specific, which is a theme that kind of continues through a little bit. Um, but like, that's kind of like the idea behind that one. So it seemed very accessible, um, but uh, a way that people could, you know, do things without kind of freaking out because, you know, we're talking about people that haven't done this kind of work, right? right. Um, some people won't want to be in a room with an actor for an hour. That might seem a little intense, but if you're on a phone, maybe that's a bit of an easier ask and someone will be more inclined to try it. So, so that's like, with the, like one of the first things we got locked in there. And then um, the other one was um, E3W Productions, who've done the In Another Room shows and things like that, who are honestly, again, in terms of accessible and emotionally resonant immersive are some of my favorite creators out there. Uh, so they're going to be doing a scene from In Another Room Chapter 2 this year. Um, and, um, and they're being, you know, they were in at Overlook, I want to say it was 2018, um, and did a scene from In Another Room Chapter 1 that was fantastic one of my favorite things at that festival uh so really excited about you know them being on and being part of this whole thing and they uh, and they brought forward they did the game uh i think the, yes. the following year and and honestly like i'm i was really glad to see their name in the listing because there was a part of me that w- was wondering if they were kind of wrapped as as a concern because i know that you know, their careers are going well in, in other areas. And, you know, we, you know, there hasn't been a chance for them to, to work as E3W in a while. They had this absolutely amazing show they were doing 
right as pandemic hit in 2020. And it was, it was one of the big heartbreaks I had that year was that we were trying to, we, we were going to send, I mean, hell, it's actually where the others are, a card for it. And the, and the, the memento of it is still on my desk, like right now, as we speak, I just look down, it's like, oh yeah, th- it's right here. The name of the show is right here. I'm looking at it. Uh, and we were going to be getting a lot of people from out of town through that show and show them what's possible with their incredible cinematic style of work. And I was so happy to see that name um, listed in there. Yeah. You, you and me both, to be honest, like their work has always stood out to me from the time I first that saw that first in another room show. Uh, I mean, incredible production design, right? Just completely inventive cinematic to use your words, um, you know, way of looking at the world and like scenes, but also so their shows make you feel so vulnerable and their performers yeah. are so strong and they take and they these places you really, would not. Ex- oh, go ahead. Oh, they, they strike this really interesting thing where, you know, it's not the kind of work where you are the protagonist, you are the hero, yeah. but you're very much bearing witness, mm-hmm. which is this step beyond just being an audience member, right? And this is this is something that's not an easy line to skate. And a lot of immersive theater makers can't quite skate this line and they do it just about every time. Yeah. It's um, there's something about their shows that you really maybe think about. We, everybody loves to talk about agency, right? Everybody wants agency. Everything's got to be agency all the time. Um, I don't really agree with that sentiment unto itself. But what's really interesting about their shows, now that you mentioned it, is you don't have a lot of agency in those shows, right? But that makes what they're doing land even harder because you are watching things that are breaking your heart and you wish you could intervene and you could wish you could do something to change what's already happened and you can't. Yeah. And that's where there's like a lot of that real emotional power from those things um, come. And they've done such a great job with the game the previous year and having had another room there before. Um, and again, that was another creator where I was like, if we want to try to bring new people into this kind of work with this new structure, you know, top of my list of people we might be able to get. So just feel very, very fortunate that they're, uh, they're going to be coming out to New Orleans this year. When we get off air, I'm going to ask you which scene they're doing. I don't want to spoil it for you. But, <laughs> but, and, and in another room uh, too, was one of those rare things where as good as In Another Room 1 was, and it was a stunning debut, In Another Room 2 was even better. It was like that rare, it was the, it's the, it's the Empire Strikes Back of, uh, of, of immersive <laughs> sequential shows. Also maybe one of the, one of two serialized shows I can think of actually, now that I think, but maybe three, three, hmm. depending on how you count tension and lust if they're, and those are serialized. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's like three things that are, are serialized, uh, at least in LA. Now I'm going to be thinking about series. Stop me. Go on to the next one, Brian, before I derail it all. <laughs> yeah, the, this next one was uh, was really, oh man, this was this was a piece that uh, I, a piece I did not know about ahead of time. I had not experienced beforehand uh, until we started like programming the festival. Um, it's a piece called Undersigned by uh, Yannick Trapman O'Brien, and again, talk about intimacy intensity of performance connection between performer and, 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 uh, and, you know, audience member, you know, basically one performer, one audience member, 50 ish minute conversation. Um, you know, uh, he was kind enough when we started talking about this to, uh, he was doing the show in New York at the time. And he's like, Hey, I, this isn't really meant for zoom. It doesn't work that way. And I'm like, totally get it. He's like, but I think I can maybe walk you through it. I'm like, okay, let's do that. Let's, let's see what it feels like. 
And, you know, you and I have talked about Zoom shows before. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they really do not work. And so I was like, okay, this is going to be, you know, we'll do a Zoom walkthrough. It'll be loose. It'll be whatever. I'll get a general vague sense of what it is. Um, dude, last 10 minutes crying the whole thing. It's, it was one of, it's one of those shows where what you bring to it, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, it's like the, the tree and Dagobah, whatever you bring to it is what that show will be for you. Um, and I brought a lot of stuff. I brought a lot of stuff in my suitcase when I walked in the door of that show. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that has never left my memory since it was like, and again, that's another piece we're so grateful to have because again, you know, small run, not a lot of people. Um, we're going to get to see that, but the people that do, I think are going to have a really, really kind of transcendent experience. All right. That's three of four. What's, what's the last of the uh, standalone shows? Yeah, this is really, this is really, really fun. This is the first time I think the festival has ever done a completely bespoke brand new piece. Um, this one is called the Oracle. Um, it's from a tarologist named, uh, Jared Kopf, uh, who's done some work at the magic castle and kind of that stuff, you know, around, around the country, um, brilliant guy, brilliant performer, one-on-one, 15-ish minutes. Um, I think our, our logline at the moment is like something like, you know, you know, you walk in the room alone, you know, questions are asked, answers are given, futures are revealed. It's a bit, you know, playing it very, very, very low key and very, very vague and mysterious. Um, but mm-hmm. it's one of the things that I'm really excited about because we haven't done this before. Uh, yeah. but, it's, but it's a piece that I think is really going to be really interesting. And also, um, because it's a bespoke new piece, it actually has some real thematic tie-ins to the to the game, which is a, another fun thing to play with. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So so runtime for all this, like if someone and someone out there, probably someone listening to this show is going to is going to do the power run, do it all. How how much time do those four experiences add up to? Good question. I haven't added this up. So clause, let's say like, you know, let's say on the, let's say on the outside of all of these, um, and I'm sure all the creators will call me after this. They listen to this and go, no, you're wrong. It's too long. Um, so let's say uh, 50 for clause. Let's say okay. 50 for undersigned. Right. Uh, let's say, uh, so looking at, so, okay. So that's like what, like a hundred minutes. We're looking at 115 for another room. And then maybe just over two hours, I think of content. Like just over two hours, right? Two yeah. hours. Total. I said so content. Said that feels dirty. No, yeah, don't don't use don't use the content yeah, word. Yeah. Very experiences, which is almost as bad sometimes. Um, <laughs> what about experiential content? What? Experiential no. content? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Expectorated content? No. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry no. to everybody listening. We do this all day long. It's the oh, problem. Yeah, we could do this all day long, but you're always busy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, it's good. Good times. Good times. Okay. So just about two hours total. You said an hour 15, uh, once you add another. So, so it sounds like a 15 minute episode or, or about like a 20 minute episode for in another room. Yeah. Uh, but the twist here is like, this is the thing too, to, you know, that I, we hope people will keep in mind. You're not just paying for the show. You know, the show is the show, right? The show right. starts when like, you know, that piece begins, it ends when that piece ends, but for the player, for the participant, right. There is pre-show, right? During your onboarding, there is potential post-show. There is potentially, potentially other things that you could get access to if you do all these things and talk to all the right people. Like who knows, right? Okay. Um, so uh, you know, understanding. So it's just, it's not just it's not just the show. It's hopefully like a whole a little bit more than the show, and maybe a whole lot more. It's additive. 
Um, so like, you probably don't want to just do just one. You might want to at least do two. So if you're lucky enough to get two of them. So, yeah, if I was, if, if yes, that's my, my, if this was me just like going, I would want to do it all. What are you talking about? I would be, well, that's what I'm saying. Yes. That's where I was going. Come on. (laughs) Um, but yeah, but no, but what's neat about it though, is I do think every piece is unique and intimate in its own way. Um, and kind of does a slightly different thing. Um, and, uh, and should provide a, a wide variety of experiences, levels of interaction. Um, it should just be if people want to explore what immersive can be. Again, hopefully people that haven't done a lot, it should be a pretty, um, uh, should have a lot of rich choices here to look at. And it's all sitting in a stew brought to us by? The Ministry of Peculiarities. All right. Uh, for those who listened to the episode uh, where we talked to the ministry, apologies for for the effusiveness that will come next. But Brian, talk to us about uh, the ministry and why they got uh, why they got the job. Um, everybody I knew, and I have a feeling this was happening to you too, kept talking about this escape room called Hope End. And I'm like, Hope End? What's Hope End? I don't know Hope End. I haven't seen that. Is it nearby? They're like, it's in Azusa. I'm like, Azusa seems Azusa. far. I'm like, I don't want to go to Azusa necessarily. Um, but, but it's supposed to be really good. And like literally everybody I trust and know well, and like, whose whose opinion and, and taste level I look to is like, no, no, you got to see the thing. I'm like, okay, cool. And part of the big pitch was that, you know, it's really, really strong with, with a live performers, part of the show. There's two. Um, but I'm like, okay, cool. So a bunch of colleagues and I just, you know, played hooky from work one day and went down to, to check out the show. Um, and I was honestly... Uh, you, did you describe the show on the podcast already? I know you guys reviewed it for the site. Yeah, but like, I mean, don't assume that someone's listened to any given episode. Okay. So the premise, you walk in the door. We knocked on the door for our group. And this crazy, like, out-of-time character named Higgins came in and like was like, oh, hey, it asked like one of my friends to like pick a song from a book. And we we're like, is this the show? What's going on? The energy here is so weird and unique in the best way. We're like, we don't know what's happening. So we eventually make it into this lobby. And it's essentially like, it was like walking into like a a weird neo-noir, like Brazil or something. It's like this crazy energy. Like, you know, it's a little bit wacky. It's a little bit serious. There's a lot of darkness underneath the surface. And I'm like, I don't know anything that's happening. Like what the hell? And what was great about that because it had been a while since I'd had that reaction to something, you know, because um, like right when you like knock on the door and this place is literally in an old billiards hall, like you wouldn't even know it was there. It's in the corner of like a little strip mall and you wouldn't know it's there. And I'm like, wow, like just through like the the set design of that lobby um, and the performance of that first character I met, I was already there. And I'm like, that's that felt that felt new again, you know, that's just because I hadn't been caught off guard like that in a while. And it was just like, this is great. And then we went to do the room and uh, hope end is without spoiling it. Ghosts, haunted houses, you're kind of getting at the the core of what happened um, behind a, uh, a dead family member um, features appearances from uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of favorites. If you guys have seen, you know, the willows, You'll see familiar faces when you're doing Hope End, um, even though as, as assets or as paintings on the wall or that kind of thing. A lot of the really, really well-known, I think, to uh, the hardcore community, immersive actors um, were, were part of Hope End. And uh, for me, um, as it usually happens, um, I somehow find myself with an opportunity to be the bad guy at the end. And so my Why? colleagues- always happen I don't to know. Brian. I'm a very nice man. I'm very confused. <sighs> 
Um, but my, my colleagues kind of gave me, set, set me up to have that opportunity. And I will not spoil this for anybody that does the room. And if you haven't gone to the room, you should go to the room immediately. Um, I have this moment at the end um, with, uh, there's one performer that comes, goes with you throughout the entire show, more or less. And uh, I had this, this single moment with this performer. And, um, you know, you and I have talked a lot about 2016 and LA immersive and that kind of stuff and what it was. Mm -hmm. And that moment, I don't know if you had this moment or not. No, I'm curious. But that moment took me back to an interaction I had in September of 2016 in one of the various first shows I did completely. And I was like, wow, wow. I don't know how you got me there. I don't know how you're pulling this off. This seems super scrappy, but it's so well done. Like the puzzles are interesting and inviting. And like, cause I'm not a hardcore puzzle guy, but I was like super into it and I could solve things. It felt empowering and moving and scary, all the things. And it was just damn smart, damn, damn smart. I thought. Um, and so we started talking to them because, you know, as part of this bigger idea, um, you know, our, the Overlook games have gone through many different permutations over the years. They've been like hyper creepy game style immersive. They've been hardcore puzzle quests. They've been rich, rich performance based pieces. Every creator has a different flavor when they come in. It's what makes the game kind of so much fun to play or just to, to read about. Right. Um, and so this one, we're like, we want to make it accessible because we want this to be for new people as much as for, you know, the regulars, you know, for the you and the me. And so we're like, well, these people, not only are they good at doing like puzzling and that kind of stuff in a way that, that feels really accessible and relatable, not only do they have this great vibe and mythos about what the Ministry of Peculiarities itself seems to be, um, they were really, really excellent at using live performance. You know, it was that, it's that same through line. It was like, I had an exceptional moment at the end of their show because the actor I was interacting with was exceptional. My entire experience for the show was teed up because the first performer I interacted with was exceptional. And that's the kind of thing we wanted to really, you know, really wanted to foreground. So, um, you know, we asked them, uh, they were, um, you know, started those conversations. They were game again, feel just extraordinarily fortunate um, for the festival to be working with them. Uh, on this year's game. And, uh, and yeah, it's a, it's one of those things where, you know, I, you know, I don't, I never like to be like, it's going to be amazing because then it won't be. And then someone will, you know, call bullshit, but I'm just so excited about the kind of work they're doing and the kind of work all the other creators are doing. And the fact that we're you, getting to use the festival as a place to experiment and play a little bit. You know, I think it can sometimes we can conf forget that that's important, you know, just program some things, get it, bring the creators out. Awesome. Yes, that's great. And that's also valid, right? We've been to festivals that have done that extraordinarily well. You've run festivals that do that extraordinarily well. But why can't we turn it into a little bit of a playground and a sandbox to try a bunch of weird stuff and, and see if it works? Um, so I think just from a design perspective, that's what's been most exciting about it is talking to all these people who are exceptional in their own ways um, and kind of, you know, seeing it kind of bringing it all together you know the best i can as a curator uh, to kind of come together as part of this one overarching thing and it's been it's been a blast i'm excited i'm just really excited to see how it all comes together in the end i'm really stoked that that crew is going to get to you know be connected with the audiences who who don't know them and yeah. that particularly that they're going to be weaving this around the other four immersive elements that they're going to be weaving things into the body of the festival itself. You know, hopefully, hope, I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll hear about the after action. Like I'm excited about the prospect of 
the folks who don't think about the immersive side of Overlook getting to get a little taste of it and wondering what this this strangeness is, particularly after having watched The Ministry who by that point I hadn't gone to the room yet, but because everyone had, had like talked them up, you know, we had, we had, we had programmed them into a festival we were doing that didn't get to happen because of the blasted, horrible pandemic. And then they expressed interest in being involved in the invitational, which is something that we do with after hours theater company here in LA. And they came in for this, you know, 72 hour film festival style thing and just took the library room in this building that we had access to and created this incredible actor driven experience that, that had elements of interactivity and, you know, narrative slash moral choices to make that like impacted the way the narrative played out and all done in, you know, 48 hours worth of work, Mm -hmm. just absolutely stunning, you know, and not, you know, not like, you know, this, Oh my goodness, I can't believe they've created, you know, James Cameron's avatar inside this library. No, not like that level. Wait, of like, they created an avatar. Though. Really? No, no, no. They only kind of have, they created a second one. No, uh, no, like but like, <laughs> like nothing, <laughs> nothing like, uh, on that scale, but just taking, taking just an, you know, a, a room that had some books and tables in it and turning it into something that was magical. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, no pressure y'all <laughs> <laughs> also full disclosure. We must, we must note that the ministry is, uh, you know, uh, one of, one of the sustaining backers of no proscenium. So disclosure, disclosure. Uh, but, uh, we, we were all, we were all hyped about them long before they were putting any money into the kitty. So. Yeah, no, they're, um, it's just a really, really fun group to get to know and work with as, as so well. Like they're so creative, so talented, so humble, um, and it's like, yeah, you, you guys are just awesome. It, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's like, oh, wow. Like getting to see like the first escape room. And I wish I'd been at the invitational cause I've heard amazing things about that. But, um, but yeah, no, just, uh, very excited to introduce more people to, to the ministry as well. You know what I mean? That's, that's the kind of the whole thing. And it's kind of the reason for the wraparound idea too. It's like, if everything can be a touch point for every other thing, maybe, just maybe we can get people to come into this stuff more than they would necessarily think about initially. Um, so yeah. yeah. Excited for you guys to see it. I'm excited for all of them to see it. Well, Brian, uh, you know, I don't want to jinx you by saying sounds like it's a good, you've done a good job because you know, the show's still got to happen, but you're, you're kind of got a deck stacked in your favor here. you got the ministry on the game. You've got, E3W bring in part of in, in another room. You got Unique doing Undersign, which my team who've gotten to see it so far rave about. You've got Claws, which folks have have raved about. And then you know you've got you've got one wild card, which sounds like you've done there's some cool bespoke stuff going on in that. Um yeah. Sounds like the the deck is stuck in your favor, my friend. Yeah. Well, no, it's I think it's uh you know, when uh, when you have as many amazing, incredible artists, which is with as much good work that are down for being as a festival as I think Overlook's been lucky to have this year, um, it's just exciting, right? It's just, I'm just excited for people to see these shows they've never seen before, right? Because I think there are a lot of these things where you go like, oh, it's in New York, it's in Philadelphia. Oh, it only ran for two weeks, all these different things. These things are ephemeral, right? It can be hard to collect them. 
Uh, so having an opportunity for a lot of people that maybe weren't in the right place at the right time, whenever over the last few years to be able to go and get to these things directly, um, it's going to be cool. Um, by the way, I forgot to mention um, tickets, I think, are going to be going on sale, um, obviously ahead of the festival. I don't think we have a hard date yet. Um, but um, but yeah, like I said, pass holders will get first dibs on making those reservations. Uh, and like I said, this is not me selling. This is me being like all heads up because I would want to get on these tickets myself. Um, I think some of these are, you know, there will not be a lot of shows for some of these just by nature of the number of performers and the length of the show. Yeah. Um, so that, that'll be a thing. Well, we'll we'll give us give us a heads up, and we'll we'll put everybody on alert as best we can in the Discord, uh, and, and go from there. All right, Brian Bishop, always great to have you on the show. Always wonderful to have a chance just to talk to you in general, my friend. Likewise, and uh, hopefully, not too long, we'll have uh, reason to do it again uh, here on the pod, and hopefully, much sooner than that, IRL. So, does this mean we're not going to do the Andor podcast later? No, I told you only four people listen to that when Patrick. But we, but it. we could do a good one. We better like. Hey, it, don't Patrick. You're hurting Patrick. No, 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 right no, no, no. I'm just saying like we lessons learned. We'll make it more exciting. Open with like laser bolt sounds. Okay, cool. I don't want to do a bunch of post production work. This isn't a more civilized stage. <sighs> Fine. I'll talk to you later, Noah. <laughs> Longtime listeners to the podcast know a lot about Area 15, which is, amongst other things, the host to Meow Wolf's Omega Mart and Lost Spirits Distillery, a couple of our absolute favorites out there in Las Vegas. They have just announced a big expansion, and we've got Winston Fisher, co-founder and CEO of Area 15, on the show this week to guide us through uh, this announcement and tell us what's up uh, out there in Las Vegas. Hey, Winston. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Always good to have you on the show. Uh, let's start with the basics. What are visitors going to find at this new expansion of Area 15? Yeah, so we're, we're, we say that the Area 15 district uh, really sits on 20 acres right now uh, where, where you've showed up, and this is going to be expanded to another 20 acres. And it will, where Area 15, the box, is an indoor experience, this is really becoming an entertainment district. So it will become indoors and outdoors. You'll be able to walk from the front of Area 15, through it, around it, all the way uh, north. You'll come by that we'll have that 747 plane. There'll be Burning Man art. There's going to be spectacle. Um, you know, all the storefronts are going to look wild and crazy. You'll get to Universal. So it's going to be, you know, the goal is to build the world's largest and premier immersive entertainment district. You just name checked Universal uh, and they've got this uh, Halloween Horror Nights inspired attraction that's going to be there. Um, this is a first for them outside of their parks. How long is this uh, attraction been part of the conversation about the expansion because for a lot of us on the outside of this deal we were just like what what has they done? they're doing what where all year yeah, round? That's, that's what we like to hear we want to blow your minds with our announcements um you know so we we've always we've had plans that area 15 las vegas can grow right we have the land uh there's a lot of demand 
and, you know, part of basic, you know, the, the, the boring side of everything, but to expand and to, to build, you know, another three, 300,000 square feet, it's helpful to have an anchor experience. So we have always been, we had worked, uh, again, the boring stuff. We had Gensler with us. We, you know, had a whole master plan and we, we quietly were marketing it to world premier concepts. And, you know, we were, we were able to, uh, we met Universal and it was great. I mean, it took a while, right? Deals like this are not easy, but I got to tell you, they were truly uh, such a pleasure to deal with. But, you know, so it's the, it's been, it's, the vision has been there from the beginning and then the execution was over, you know, working on this uh, back and forth with them for over a year. So, so kind of the timeline, Omega Mart had been open and, and folks kind of were able yes. to see that, you know, this was working, you know, it wasn't, it was out of concept. It was on the ground. It was attracting lots yeah, of people yeah, under, under, under bad conditions too. Like the, maybe the worst conditions to open something and it was a success. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing is we're, it's not me telling you what we're going to do. It's me showing you what we've done. And that's a big difference, right? The, the success of Area 15 in Las Vegas, frankly, uh, the what we stand for, we can, the way we curate, and people saw that there was an opportunity. Again, we're 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 trying to be something that's additive to the Las Vegas market, and so this is just building something again, not competitive with the Strip, but it also, I, I, you know, obviously Universal chose chose to go with us because. It's a world-class, crazy, immersive experience that's going to be in a world-class, immersive district, right? It celebrates them. We're not, I always say it's, a, everybody who's in Area 15 will be prominent and well-known, right? Whereas some of, some of the other experiences, you're just in a sea of. And that's a big difference about being in the, in the district. So right now, the heart of Area 15 has a kind of cyberwave, neon, Burning Man aesthetic anchored by Meow Wolf's Omega Mart. Universal, you know, they're bringing this horror vibe and it's going to be the anchor of, of this next phase. Does that, you know, in terms of the overall flow of the district, are, are you guys thinking in terms of like, oh, as people approach you know, Universal, it starts to get into sort of the darker shades of fun? Is there is there some yeah. planning on that level or, or, or is this? There, there be- is. I mean, there's a, there's a design aesthetic, you know, I, I think what you, 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 you touched on it a little bit that there'll be, you know, when we think about area 15, one of the things that's important is that there's this sort of baseline design aesthetic. And I always think about like our backstory and everything like secret government facility and all that stuff. So there's a certain base design aesthetic. I think that will be very, um, uh, people will pick up on, right? Like this is a fact, like universals, you saw some of the, uh, the renderings. It's a, it almost looks like a brick factory, right? The, you know, area 15 um, is this, this sort of bunker warehouse, right? So you'll have some very base design and then there'll be all that sort of wild spectacle art. But then we also really encourage creativity, of all of the experiences, whether we own and operate them or lease it. So Universal's building is going to be, I mean, again, really highly themed, but then everybody else around them will also be themed. And so it's going to be this mash of sort of creative energy 
that again, we, we really require all of the experiences to do something that's authentic to them and creative. And that's what people will experience. It's not, it's not one design style, but it's a, it's a backdrop design style that you then have to be creative in. If I remember correctly, Orlando is still on the books. Um, Orlando, yeah, definitely. Yeah, how, yeah how's, really that, how's that coming along? Because if anything, I was expecting like the next announcement would be something about Orlando. And so, uh, and when Universal was like, wait, what? Huh, Universal? Oh, yeah, Orlando. I mean, honestly, firing on all cylinders, it's Universal, uh, excuse me, Orlando is bigger. It's 300,000 square feet. We are in the process of designing it. Uh, you know, we're talking to some experiences, which are really cool, um, which we're excited about. And frankly, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, as we say, the boring side is also just working on the capital market side of everything. But it's progressing <laughs> in a lot of meetings on that all the time. So it's exciting. And we've got other places we're working on, too. Right. There's we've got a lot of sort of uh, uh, we're firing on a lot of cylinders right now, which is exciting. So- so you mentioned the capital market. So like things have definitely changed in terms of the flow of, of capital out of the banks this past year oh, yeah. with what the Fed's been doing. But there's it's still it sounds like you still got some strong, you know, wins in your favor. Uh, yes. Guiding you through this. So not so that suggests that the demand for immersive is is strong enough and the faith and the folks on the money side of like, oh, yeah, this is going to be. A yeah, thing. I mean, look, there's. As I guess, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time, frankly, paying attention to the capital markets and what's going on. There is a risk off um, world today, um, primarily more from the banks, I'd say, than private capital. But, mm. you know, you have to, um, the, the, you, people see that there is strong demand for entertainment. They still believe in it. I mean, you see record earnings coming out from companies. So you do have... Um, th- there are still solid wins, I guess, so to speak, that are propelling immersive entertainment, entertainment, location-based entertainment forward. Look, in a world when there's risk off, people are, they underwrite you harder. They're, they're more skeptical. Um, you know, Area 15 has been lucky that it has a really good demonstrated track record. We work with incredible companies like a Meow Wolf, like Lost Spirits, Illuminarium, uh, you know, uh, dueling axes, you know, not everything has to be big to be great. Um, you know, and then you get companies like Universal and you see some of our success uh, other places and, and you know, that it, it, it helps you have um, in a challenging market, better conversations. Back to focus on, on the Vegas expansion, uh, I noted in, in some of the write-ups, this one's also slated to have office and residential space for, for this phase. What's your ideal mix of tenants here? Who 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 do you see uh, so, being? So, yeah, the residential in... is not part of Area 15. I should just be. Okay. Um, uh, there's the, <laughs> the the development is part of what they call we call Vegas Rising. It's 80 acres of land, and the idea is you know you've got the Area 15 Entertainment District, which is 40 acres of it. And then there will be really cool multifamily that's north of it. They'll ultimately um, slot it for right now and it'll grow to 1,400 units of really cool walkable multifamily ground level retail that will connect into the area 15 entertainment district. 
And then there's some space for, we have 20 acres for something really big. So we're trying to find out the right, we have, we have some ideas we're working on, but we have the ability to work with concepts or groups to do something in a, in a very large format, which we think would be, you know, so you could imagine, uh, the area 15 entertainment district becomes 60 acres and it has something really, you know, what else would anchor it? I don't know. That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> but we have the ability to organically grow, which is what's been really exciting in Vegas, right? It's not, um, the Vegas market, uh, is, is, uh, one of the things I know is everybody's prone to thinking you have to go the biggest and they make these bold announcements. And I always said, let's go small and execute and just, just grow by, by, uh, organically. And that's what's happening, which is nice. So this, this second phase of, uh, of the expansion to the 40 acres, it, it wasn't something, so to speak, planned with everything. It's happened because there's, there's real demand that keeps, that keeps coming to us, which is exciting. And I'm glad you like differentiated the Vegas rising from the area 15. Cause there was a write-up. It was in, I think one of the local television stations in Las Vegas. And like, I think they had conflated that. And so I was starting to get visions of like, the Americana in LA in my head, except instead of, you know, I don't know, an Apple store and Barnes and Nobles, it was going to be zombies that people were going to be living on top of. Some people would want to live on top of zombies, but you know, uh, no, it's, it's, it'll be next to it. And it's, it's really cool. You know, Vegas, the multifamily will be walkable. It will be neighborhood. It'll be community. And people want live, work, play, in one area, but there's a distinct separation, right? That the people where they live are not living in an entertainment district, right? They'll, they'll, they'll be next to it. And, you know, office, we, frankly, there's area 15. We see there's a lot of creative spaces, tenants, um, experiences in Las Vegas that like, where would we want our office in the district? Right? Like, so that there are people who want to, uh, you know, frankly, work and, and, you know, they could have businesses that are there and need the corporate office or something. So we do see that opportunity. We are, we are a platform, not just a single, single silo, right? And this platform is for immersive entertainment and experiences. And that, that can mean, you know, it, it doesn't have to just include what's public facing. It can be behind the scenes, so to speak, too. Go, go, one more question for you that just came to mind. Um, which is sort of a, a broad, not quite philosophical, but what's been the thing that surprised you the most post-opening of Area 15? What's been the thing that, that, that took you off guard? I, it's sort of what has surprised me the most. Obviously, we, <laughs> I believed in what we were creating because we took the risk, right? Everybody thought I was crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think where I... Um, I get very excited is it's not that we invented a box in Vegas or that we're expanding. It's that we've created a brand and the brand power is so, is so exciting that it can be this, you know, 800,000 square feet of, of entertainment district, but it can also be, you know, it, it could be a hotel. It could be a video game. It could, right. It's a brand that I think that's the part that has, excites me the most of its potential um that it can that it's more than just something that is this is uh, a box in vegas 
right? And that it's it's got global, it, it, the brand could be global. And that that's mm-hmm. what's exciting. And the other thing is like we opened a, a pop-up in, in Saudi Arabia and it's amazing to see, I love it, uh, women DJs, people dancing and in what is a very conservative economy relative to a place like Vegas, the consumers are loving it. Our brand transcends, um, it, it, it cuts across different cultures. Um, and at the same time, you know, it, it, it has, it's, it stands very clearly for what it is, right? You don't have to change it, which is really exciting. Winston Fisher, co-founder and CEO of Area 15. Thanks for giving us the download. Thanks for hopping back on a call to be on the show. And looking forward to seeing how the next phase all develops. Uh, looking forward to getting uh, you and my pants scared off of me uh, in Vegas. <laughs> I can't wait to have you out there. Future. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'll be there. I'll be there. Awesome. Once again, I want to thank Winston and Brian for being our guests on the show this week. You can find links to what's going on at the Overlook. Uh, Also going to try and throw in the Fangoria article in there. Going to find a link uh, to the uh, Area 15 announcement and all that will be in the show notes along with the articles I mentioned at the top of the show. And maybe if there's some interesting news uh, before long, I will... uh, throw that into the show notes as well. You'll also find links to the stuff we're interested in in the newsletter each week. Uh, all of the events that are uh, that are submitted to Everything Immersive, other bits and bobs that we find, those go into the newsletter. The newsletter usually drops on Saturdays. Some point I hope to like creep it back up into uh, Fridays <laughs> so that I can have a full weekend again one of these days, but uh, it just winds up scrambling around and, and getting it in there. Um, I, um, I, I I mentioned this to folks on the irregular, and now I'm bringing it up with all of you. Uh, we may need to put the newsletter behind a paywall. Uh, we may need to make the newsletter something that only folks who are Patreon subscribers uh, only folks uh, who maybe you might have another way of, of folks uh, getting the newsletter. Um, that's that may be how it goes, um, and and I will prefer it being Patreon just because uh, tracking another spreadsheet means I'm going to make mistakes. Uh, much much easier if it's all uh, tied into the the Patreon and and I can keep everything in one spot. Um, not because I want to. Um, and the good news, I guess, is is that at, at this point in time, the, the newsletter is kind of a, a convenience for folks more than anything. It's also probably our largest, one of our largest audiences. Uh, and the, the in terms of people actually engaging with what we're doing, um, we have, and I am told this is kind of wild, a 55% open rate on the newsletter. Uh, I tell that to people and they go, what? And, uh, and it's a lot of people. Uh, it's a lot of people opening that thing. And if all the people who open the newsletter were giving us $2 a month, you know, when you factor in the folks who are already backing us on Patreon, my problems would be solved financially. 
and we'd even start being able to do things for the team in a real way, uh, just on the people who are opening the newsletter. So it has come to that time where I, I kind of have to start being like, well, that just might be the answer. Of course, not everyone will, uh, but them's the breaks. Maybe enough of them will to get us over that hump. Um, would that it were otherwise. Uh, the good news is that we will not be moving EI behind a paywall. We won't move our social presence behind a paywall, although good luck <laughs> getting something through the way the algorithms go these days. Uh, we won't be moving, well, we not planning on moving the Discord right now, but maybe at some point we move the Discord behind a paywall. Make it all so it's just for the folks who are, are, are committing to the Patreon. Um, I'm I'm reluctant to doing that stuff because I want this to reach out as far as we can. And uh, but for for instance, on the newsletter side of things, um, Mailchimp's been jacking up the prices. Uh, our our dear friend Shavana Lachlan has found an alternate uh, alternative to Mailchimp. I'm gonna look into that uh, myself. Uh, so we may be doing some migration anyway, but, uh, with all that, um, yeah, uh, we, we, we do a lot of work here. So, um, I, I'm always deeply uncomfortable with this part of it. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of you just like clicked off of, ah, he's doing the thing again. But, uh, and, and you know what, if, if you're already given money, good, good on you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, and feel free to turn it off. Because uh, I don't think I'm going to say anything interesting uh, beyond this. Maybe I won't. You know, it's my brain. I'll probably, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Uh, I am, though, continue to be excited about where things are going immersive-wise. It was really fun to put together. I guess I am saying something else. <laughs> really fun to get uh, to put together the most anticipated. Uh, that, that was just a slice. There was a bunch of other stuff that the team uh, brought up. Uh, but I wanted to give a little focus, and we did 10 this time. Uh, I'm sure some people are like, why didn't you do this? And how dare you? And, uh, we'll, we'll, there'll be more, uh, this, this may turn into like a quarterly thing. There's some other forms, uh, of, of articles of anticipating stuff that, uh, we're going to be putting out there, uh, putting spotlights on creators in different ways, uh, letting folks, uh, hopefully get excited about stuff, uh, and just trying to focus really hard on the no pro side of things and in what we're doing on the EI side of bringing interesting shows, uh, interesting events, interesting virtual experiences, uh, to you, uh, letting you know about them. That's why we do what we do. There's all kinds of other stuff we do on the Institute side of things. Uh, we're working on the next stage. Uh, the, the dates for that of course are June 2nd through 4th. It's going to be a real intimate summit gathering of immersive creatives, uh, just going to have 200 this time. Uh, we're, we're kind of the, the space we've got, um, which is, uh, which has been, uh, we've been hooked up with, uh, means we, we, we can't be quite as large as we were going to be when we we're at the Pasadena Playhouse, but, uh, it's a doozy of a space and we're going to have a lot more about that hopefully really soon because, uh, the booking process is going good. Uh, and I've got some, uh, I've got some fun things to pull out of the pocket, uh, for that event for you. And yeah um i i this has been this has been the joy of my life to work on all this and uh i i just want to keep doing that 
and I just want to keep making this for you. That's all. That's all. I just want that $2. So <laughs> on that note, um, let's talk about the people who make this show possible from the work side of things. The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Shavano Lachlan for voicing our intro. The No Pro Podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, blah, blah, uh, mixed by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>